Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. What the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuck, Amalins? What the fuckers? Did I say that already? Oh, man, I know there's a bigger list. I just can't do it right now. I can't do it. I'm in New York City. This is Mark Marin. This is WTF. Finally, the Chris Hardwick episode is up today. I know a lot of you are uh, a little like uh, mad that I didn't put it up, but I said I was going to put it up. But I'm putting it up because Hardwick's uh, TV special is on BBC America this Saturday, September 24th at 10 p.m. Eastern. That's right, the Nerdist TV special. So that's why I had Chris on today. See, I'm not such a bad guy. I am in New York, though, and I am about to lose my mind. I'm in New York. I'm tired. I'm, I'm covered with sweat. I, I feel slightly uh, kind of battle fatigued just from being on the subway train. I learned a few things this trip. Bad haggler. I'm a bad haggler. I'm staying right down here on Canal Street, right where all the uh, knockoffs are and the cheap things. And I go in to buy a lighter because I want to smoke a cigar. I say, you got lighters? The guy's like, yes. And he walks me over and he shows me a lighter, not even a name brand lighter. And I go, how much? He goes, $1.50. And I went, oh, come on. $1.50? Come on. $1.25. He goes, I'll give you one for a dollar, the smaller one. I'm like, no, $1.25 for the big one. And, and he goes, $1.25. And I just put it down and walked out. I left mid-negotiation as if I were teaching him a lesson. I was pissed off that he, I left in the middle of a haggle. I wasn't even trying to haggle. I don't even know what I was trying to do. I went down the street and paid $1.50 for a lighter. What a fucking idiot. Not, needless to say, I've had a great time in New York. And I, there's a couple things I got to tell you about before I get into the fact that I can't even be nostalgic anymore because everything that I once knew here is kind of gone. Uh, it's a little sad. I, I might have talked about this before, but I go to the Lower East Side so I can walk around and see if I can kind of walk in the heart that I once had when I lived down there for so many years, wandering around those streets, sweating in the summer, you know, festering. You know, the fall is the, is the most beautiful time. And uh, there's just nothing left. I don't, I don't even know, not that I need heroin, but I don't even know if they sell heroin down there. It, clearly, that's been gone for a while. There are restaurants. There's a cafe, a lovely Italian restaurant, where they used to sell heroin right next door to my old apartment. But I, if you do, I, I swear to God, the tone of the Lower East Side right now, I imagine if you, if you are looking for heroin, you might be able to find some, some locally grown poppy uh, heroin, organic heroin, perhaps, that is sold to you in... Uh, either biodegradable plastic uh, envelopes or perhaps uh, hand-pressed paper bindles. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where it is. I wasn't looking for it, but I miss that tone, that texture. I miss that part of the Lower East Side. I'm just exhausted. I mean, it's been a long couple of days, and the subway is really where I learn. Usually, you know, you get into a, a New York frame of mind. That's a song, isn't it? Not unlike Plain Brain, where you just sort of put your blinders on you get in it, you're in the groove, but I get on the subway now and I just feel assaulted by the aura of others. I cannot separate from myself from the sweat and stink and the fact that there's somebody sitting right 
you know, or standing right in front of me, holding a guardrail. I'm on the chair. His dick is pretty much face level to me, and I got to deal with that, and I got to deal with just being surrounded. My boundaries are too porous to have people pressing their lives into me involuntarily through some sort of weird orgone energy, if you dig what I'm saying. It's draining. I can't shut it down anymore. I get exhausted and anxious. Beautiful city, though. I got to say, I do love it. It's just getting a little hard, a little hard for me to come out here. I did go see some old friends. I traveled way out to Queens to interview a, a long, uh, an old friend of mine. Uh, it, was a, it was very interesting, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll get that up. I, I, I don't need to tell you who it is right now. One last thing, though, about New York and, and about Monday's show. We had a big live WTF. I mean, it was a big clusterfuck of a WTF, and I'm so proud of it, proud of it, that we're going to put it up Monday for a couple of reasons. I know there are some live ones that we haven't put up yet, but this one was special. It was at the Bell House. It was one show, and I'm just going to go down this lineup for you because here's what I did. I got Ira Glass. He was a special guest. He came out first, all right? Then I got Morgan Spurlock, okay? Then I got Elna Baker, who talked about uh, becoming a non-Mormon after being a Mormon. Mind-blowing. Then I got this Professor Wayne Kostenbaum, who wrote this insanely interesting book that I can't put down called Humiliation. Then I got Joe Mandy, who's always good in a pinch. Hilarious. Then I got Nick Griffin, who I haven't talked to in a while. Hilarious. Then I got Nick DiPaolo, and he brings... Artie Lang. I haven't seen Artie Lang or heard about Artie Lang in months. And the last I heard, it wasn't good. And I got to be honest with you, folks. He came out swinging. He sat down. He was fucking hilarious. And I want to put it up Monday because uh, I want everyone to know Artie's okay and that he's fucking hilarious. I just want it out there. So we're putting that up Monday. What an amazing time. Ira Glass talks about blacking out and throwing up and being drunk. It, I, I got to put it up Monday. Is that okay with you guys? Is there other things we need to talk about? Don't get me wrong. I love New York. I'm just tired. I'm covered in grime. You know, I took a train to Queens and then I took a train. And also, I'll tell you, if you listen on Monday, I'll tell you why, how it got started. What my New York trip was like at the beginning. And it has to do with Hasidic Jews and me being incredibly aggravated. Did I mention that the pilot premiere went great? Thank you all for coming out to the New York Television Festival. Uh, we had a, a wonderful turnout, and uh, everybody liked the show. I was thrilled to see it on a big screen. I hope that uh, it becomes a show. I'm very excited about that. All right, enough about me. All right? Okay? Enough. Let's listen to Chris Hardwick and me back in the garage. <laughs> I'd like to believe that I'm capable of organizing things, but I'm really just not. I mean, look at this. Like, there's nothing I can do about this table. No matter what I do to it, there's no way it's not going to end up like this. You know, I've noticed. Um, I, I've noticed just having a girlfriend for so for so long who is neat and tidy. It's where do I get one of those? It's something you. <laughs> it's something you have to. I should totally rent her out. Yeah, you should. Man. Neat and tidy girlfriend. Pimp her out. Honey, $800 a week. I yeah. mean, come on. All you, you got to do is clean his table up. It's $3,200 a month. I mean, yeah. tell him he's funny. <laughs> and then you pack up a few things. You go home, fold the napkins, yeah. put them in the drawers. Nothing sexual. Yeah. It's yeah. not even house cleaning. No. He just needs to feel like things are organized. The sexual release comes out of the fact that the towels are color coordinated and in the right drawer. I just don't know how it happens. 
She it's it's it is a daily process. It's a daily process. Here here here's here's sort of a weird example. My finances used to be a mess when I was a fat drunk. My finances were a mess. I never knew how much money I had. And then when everything started cleaning up, I made this deal with myself where I went into Quicken and every morning I would automatically download whatever transactions happened, you know, that just cleared. And I would just categorize them. It took me four minutes every day. But the result of that was at the end of the year, everything was done. And all I had to do was just send the file to my tax guy. So it's just about it's just about consistent, tiny actions preventing that one horrible action where uh, what eventually what will happen is just go, fuck everything. And you'll just yeah. throw it into the trash can, all of it at once. It's uh, discipline, man. Yeah. It's those little things. But I mean, I can do that and still everything will become a fucking mess. And then I don't know how to even manage all the shit that comes in between mail, emails, text, things at the post office. It just seems like a never ending tidal wave of shit I have to deal with. And then I hired somebody to deal with that. And now, like, I'm worried about her, whether or not she deals with it. <laughs> so then you have to manage her dealing with right. everything. Yeah. Chris Hardwick in the garage again. Uh, but I'm doing my podcast this time it's very exciting I've, is it yes yes because I, I i you know i'm excited about all the stuff i mean i get gushy because i just get excited but i feel like whenever because you know you do you just did your show and the pod your podcast is going well and i just feel like it's nice to see your friends su- succeed oh you're starting off on such a nice foot how am i going to be a dick now you can still jam your your, <laughs> your foot down my neck and uh be like shut up nerd well no i'm glad that uh that you uh you appreciate that i i, I am starting to feel some unity among us that when something good happens for uh, a fellow podcaster it's uh it's a benefit to all it really is i mean so you can sort of i just did uh scott uh, jeff ulrich's scott ackerman's partner i just did his Podcast. Yeah, the, the, the business, the of, business podcasting. of podcasting. Sure. And I said, listen. With, with nervous Jeff Ulrich? <laughs> with nervous Jeff Ulrich. He was great. But uh, <laughs> but but what I love is that um, you, know, you can either have this sort of altruistic approach of, hey, it's great when we all succeed because everyone, everyone should be happy and everyone should get what they want. And you guys are all funny. That's such a lie. And then there's the, self, then there's the selfish point of view, which is, hey, when one person does well, then it, it, raises, the, it raises the game for everyone. Because it, it raises awareness. All I know is that on a day-to-day basis, and this is it's so irrelevant because it's not even based on anything tangible in a real way, as long as you're beneath me on the iTunes <laughs> uh, you know, count, yes. I'm fine. As long as Nerdist, when you go above me <laughs> in the top 10 or wherever we may be. It's a fun top, but you've been in- on top more lately. No, I, I I think in the in the in big picture I've been on top of a lot more than you, but I but I'm saying that just on a day to day basis. That's the foot on the neck. <laughs> but it doesn't even matter. That's not. I mean, I know what my real numbers are. You yeah, know what your real numbers absolutely. are. That's just this public display of some algorithm that I don't even understand what they base that on. It's not based on downloads. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I think some of it has to do because Apple won't tell you what it's based. It's on. It's based on subscribers, comments, new subscribers, comments, ratings. Like there's a right. There's, it's got nothing to do with actual numbers. Right. Exactly. I mean, if it had to do with actual numbers, Corolla would probably always be on top because he's been he's daily. he does like five days a week. Right. And, you know. Right. He usually is always on top. So, but uh, but you because you've been you know you you're sort of becoming the guy of like you're sort of becoming the face of comics with successful podcasts. Right. Like between the the New York Times piece and and the and the Entertainment Weekly and all that. So. You know that'll that'll that's gonna drive that's gonna drive your numbers up. Yeah, uh, I, but you know, I I mean I can see what my real numbers are and I'm fine. Everything's cool, but yeah. it's just so weird that that thing. I'm I'm kind of obsessed with it and I'm ashamed of it. 
I, yeah, out of all things to be obsessed with in my life, it's got to be that fucking iTunes. Thing. No, it's uh, you shouldn't be obsessed with it because that's just sort of an innate biological structure in your brain, and that's that's the best road marker you have for how you're doing in you know in but the field. But it's not uh, my road marker is my real numbers. The the, I, the iTunes thing is just something everyone sees, and I yeah, think. But you're you know come like, on, how many times do you check it? Seriously? We're animals, and we're competitive animals. I probably you know truthfully. I probably Truthfully. I probably check iTunes once once or twice a week and yeah. just kind of go on and see like where are we okay yeah. good yeah not not to see I don't expect to be number one I just want to make sure we haven't dropped down to like fifty or yeah dropped out of the t- uh, you know <laughs> like, yeah oh my god the dream's over like yeah. we had a we had a dip in numbers around the Christmas holidays yeah and so I told Matt and Joan I was like it's uh, been a fun ride uh it's probably downhill from here and Matt's like no on the holidays this is what happens that's true but also like we've you've got listeners and we are doing some form of audio entertainment so they're yeah. they are our people yeah it would take something drastic for you to just be like I'm not really a nerd look I'm an asshole and also. So I know that when I started doing the podcast, it wasn't a, it wasn't about that. It was about having my own thing, and it was also about getting people in the room, getting people in the room. And I'm gonna I'm gonna do it no matter what. Like I know yeah. there are gonna be dips if if you know less people listen this month than last month. I'm still gonna can do it. Where are you getting most of your new listeners from? From the G4 show or from you know what do you know? I think it's How, just a composite. But it's just, like what all are you doing? Let's name the projects. Let's right. go down the the list of uh, Chris Hardwick projects. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, so there's the Attack of the Show and Web Soup, which are both on G4. Yeah. Um, How many people watch that? You know, I don't know. I I honestly I I genuinely don't know. Uh, I never ask because it's available on television. It is available on television on um, Time Warner Cable. It's probably available on Time Warner Cable, not on Directv. I mean, you know, the the numbers are the numbers are good for G four. Probably not massive. Who is their audience? I mean, what is that uh, network directed uh, towards? I don't have time to watch anything but Chopped. It's no, I don't. I'm, it's fine. You uh, watch Chopped? No. What, yeah, is, what it's is on it? the Food Network. You're, oh you're, no, you're, you're, you've got a food problem. So I don't. I don't. <laughs> I do from assigning labels. Here we go. Anorexic freak. I'm I'm a naturally skinny individual. No, I don't Uh, buy it. How 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 far did you run yesterday? I didn't run yesterday. I work out like twice a week. Come on! I swear to God, I work out twice a week. When I when I eat, I just. I I just I pretty much eat what I want. I just don't like. You I guess know. I'm hung up on it because I remember when you were were sort of bloated. Well, that's because I was drinking 15 beers a day. I mean, like that, and eating pizza at three o'clock in the morning. Oh, so no more pizza. No, not at three o'clock in the morning. Okay. I, I don't know. Like I I I have good. Like if I'm eating a dessert, I don't feel like I have to eat this whole thing. I'll eat like half of it and go. I get I, I get the idea. Oh I just, fuck you! I just don't have a problem with oh, food. Oh come way. on! I know. You, even if you're full, you mean when you're full, you stop eating. I don't eat till I'm full because I, I, I always then I just feel sick. But I, I did not have that control with drinking at all, ever. Never oh. had that control with drinking. Yeah, never yeah. stopped. So, okay, so you got the G4 shows. Yeah, G4 shows. I don't know what the audiences are. Um, but you don't know who they're marketing towards? Um, yeah, like, you know, young males. Okay. I mean, every, everyone band, bandies around the yeah. some form of 18 to 34, 15 to 34, right, right, right. whatever. So yeah. that, it's, it's predominantly male audience. Um, uh, I, do, uh, Chelsea, I do a Chelsea show every couple weeks. Um, yeah, that's right. You're on that thing. Yeah, I don't know how much that drives to the podcast because does she introduce you as the host of the podcast? Yeah, some like if I feel like promoting it, but I just don't know. I don't know if a lot of nerds watch that show. It's a slightly different demographic. Yeah, so I don't know how much that's driving people <laughs> to the podcast. Angry, independent women <laughs> and gay men. <laughs> but it's a fun. It's a fun show to do. No, she's got her own thing going. I got uh, props to her. I I don't know how to. Uh, I don't know how I. I'm sure I do fine on that show. 
but I haven't really pursued trying to do it. But I would like to get her on my show. Has she done your show? No, I never asked just because. She runs a weird ship there, though, right? She's really the queen of that thing. I'm she being... is. And, and, and also, I just, I'm the kind of person where when I go into a situation like that, I just don't want to make it more complicated. Like, I don't want to be the cog in the wheel that's like, hey, will you, because I feel like. Especially, you just want to keep your thing going. Well, I now. just, it's like, they're nice to have me on the show every couple right. weeks. I come in, I do my jokes, I leave. Yeah. I, I just feel like, uh, I'm sure, because she's blown up in the last couple of years, everyone's always tugging at her for shit. And I just don't want to be, if she's not familiar with the podcast, I don't want to be like, will you do my podcast? Yeah. I, so if you she, so you ever, don't have a friendly relationship with her necessarily. I You're mean, we a guy on her show. Yeah, I'm a guy on her show. I've, right. I've hung out with her socially twice. She's always been really cool to me. But it's not like boozing. Uh, what, what was it? A Christmas party? So, so sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, mm-hmm. I mean, I wasn't. But is everything a great? I, I feel like every day is a Christmas party over there. No? <laughs> and it seems like <laughs> it seems like they have fun over there. Yeah. It seems like there's always a margarita's afoot somewhere. All right. So there you are. So you're on Chelsea, so Chelsea uh, twice a month. Twice G4 a month. shows. Two shows on G4. Yeah. Two shows on G4. Podcast. Podcast. Got the podcast. Um, we just shot the. I'm doing stuff for BBC. I'm doing interstitials for BBC. Now is that BBC America? BBC America. What yes. does that mean? Is that going to be on BBC in London as well, or in I, England? Or I don't know, but I doubt it. Because so this is they're trying to. I mean, have they been around a long time? BBC yeah, BBC America's America. been they around do for the, a while because oh, they do the British news here. They do. People, they yeah, they do, and they and they do. They show Doctor Who. They show Top Gear. They show British programming, yeah. and and you love Doctor Who. I love it. I love. I've always, for me, being a uh, when I was growing up in the '80s. I was like nerdy culture was very hard to find in America. Yeah. So there were a lot of British comedy expats. Like, right. Like nerds had to seek it out like it was a video game treasure. Right. And so, you know, we, we'd watch the young ones or the day today or, you know, any but of that's the just, stuff. But that's just Anglophile yeah, comedy totally. taste. Now, what what defines a nerd? I've, I've, I'm trying to get some clarity around this. I understand. This. Well, no, because I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm a nerd really. I. My definition of nerd, because we, you know, we would get a lot of shit in the beginning of the podcast for calling it nerdist, and then people were like, "I listen, you guys didn't talk about fucking video games." And I'm like, "Well, that's an accidental quality of what some nerds are attracted but to." But when you came up with that name, were you like, "This is it. This is an all-encompassing brand. This is a movement. This is a no, no." When I came up with the name, I just thought. I want to have a website that's about a bigger idea than just me because I won't write about myself every day. And but at least, you know. And for me, I mean, I was like growing up in the '80s. You know, nerds. There was no ironic coolness to it. It was just like I got beaten up, and I was in chess club, and yeah, and I and you I, were in chess club, chess club, computer camp. Uh, I have ch- fucking chess trophies, and my mom still has them. Uh, computer camp, debate club. I was president of the Latin club. Like any kind of academic thing, I was into, and no girls in sight anywhere. And so then it sort of became okay to. It became like ironically retroactively cool to be nerds because so much nerd culture and technology and gaming permeated pop culture. Well, that, now, yeah, it sort of took it over. Yeah, it took it over. So, so you didn't have any grand designs like nerdist universe. I mean, I guess in the beginning, I, I thought, oh, it'd be fun if, but it, but it was just a way to, to, to write about things that I was interested in that didn't, that were about me because they were point of view related, but not about me personally all the time. All right, so let me try to get at the core of what, because I think we might have talked about it. For some reason, in my brain, I it just wants to insist. Mm-hmm. That uh, that you're you're completely fabricated. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 the whole thing's just bullshit. And I understand. 
No, no, I'm not being mean. I don't mean. I don't think you're being mean because, at all. like, my memory of you, like, you know, first and foremost, was that you know you were on TV with Jenny McCarthy, yeah. and you were a fucking cool guy. So I'm like, how really? did co- with those hair drapes? Nah, nah. No, but I mean, but that was rock and roll. That was what it was. That was the 80s. Early I was 90s, never whatever. comfortable on that set. I was never. comfortable But do you understand how I can misunderstand I, I it? Absolutely you understand. Were, you were cute, and you had the boobs there, and you were doing the thing. I absolutely it, understand what you're saying. I would say the same thing to someone. What when you started? Like, wh- okay, so what? What was the upbringing? So when you were in elementary school, you were doing chess club, no girls, nobody liked you. Dad was a bowler. Bo- professional bowler, but I, that but was, it was the other thing. I, I went bowling with you, and I was like, fuck this. Look at that. <laughs> Got his own ball. Mr. Twisted, slide it around, make the ball do tricks. But that doesn't impress anybody. Um, I uh, That's really the most impressive thing that you, I've seen you do. <laughs> is the bowling thing. Like, yeah, I don't you give a shit make, about the other You can stuff. make it like just go all the way right, almost to the, the edge. You can hook yeah, it. I can hook the ball into Spin the pocket. Spin that fucker. Throw it out to the first board and bring that fucker right back into the pocket. Yep. And then you go, look, Dad. Yep. Oh yeah, that's exactly what it, you know. But <laughs> for me, it was it was uh, gr- you know I grew up. We moved a lot when I was a kid. My dad was on the Pro Bowlers tour. He opened a bowling center in Memphis, Tennessee, in 1981, and uh, I was an only child. And my mother's you're fa- still an only child. Still an only child. My, I have a half brother who lives in Tennessee, but we didn't grow up together. But only child. That's a lot of pressure. Like you were like, don't die, don't die, please don't, don't die. die. Yeah, I know. Like my, like you know, I, I just, you know, my mom's adorable, but she hugged a little too hard. Yeah, yeah. Don't please. Yeah, I would. I mean, in high school, I remember coming home like an hour late, and she was just in the kitchen, like, "Where were you?" I'm like, "Are we dating? What the fuck's going on?" <laughs> and yes, <laughs> and yes. Yeah. I, I love your I, one of my favorite jokes of all time is your joke about like I'm not in love with my mom. And, and yeah, you can fuck your mom, but you know that when you go to college, uh, you get that wee wee night right there. You can fuck her right there. Then you can fuck her. I hardly ever do that joke. It's and, a yeah. gorgeous joke where, where I say uh, I love my mother, but I'm not in love with yes, her. And yes, yes. People groan, and I'm like, what? You can totally fuck your mom. It is a great joke. Yeah, I just I don't do it that much. It's gnarly. It's a it's a good one. If you think about putting it back in a rotation, I think I, I think will. It's a okay, I'll joke. do it. I, I'm happy. I'll do it on Conan. We'll see how that goes. So uh, so I moving as an, around as an only child. You know, I was very um, kind of introverted, and and so all of my interests were. You know, computers and, you know, I, I got, a, I got, I, my grandfather was a technophile, so he had all the gaming systems and I got my first computer in 1981 and I had all, all, you know, all the gaming systems. I played the arcade systems in the bowling centers and, and like I said, Space Invaders, Space Invaders, uh, uh, Pac-Man, Gorf, Robotron 2084, Defender, Galaga, the Meteor one, uh, Asteroids, Asteroids, um, yeah, the Vector, the Vector Gal- Graphics, Galaga. Galaga. Yep. I was good at Galaga. Galaga was great. And you, you can get a lot of those emulators on... Uh, I have the Atari 2600 emulator on my phone. Oh, so, really? Yeah. Because yeah, Galaga, you'd be always surprised where it's like, oh, new new things. Yep, Galaga. Yeah. And, and Galaga was... Uh, so there was a certain badge of honor to, you know... <laughs> <laughs> to the video game world back then. No, All I the remember. stuff you saw in King of Kong was what it was like back then. The first time I played video games was at... Um, at a bowling alley, yep. Albuquerque, New Mexico. Nice on uh, Lomas. I can't. I'm not uh, Holiday Bowl. Maybe. Yeah. I was never a good bowler, but that was the only place where we get a machine. Oh my god! I see, and I love to call my dad when I'm in another town and, and I see a rundown bowling center. Yeah. So, like, I would totally call my dad and go, "Holiday Bowl," and he'd go, "Yeah, I was bowling a tournament there. I got a blowjob back <laughs> behind the dumpster in '68. Like, fucking awesome!" <laughs> like my dad, my dad is just like this this blowjob geo map or whatever. Because in the '60s, bowling was cool. People would blow bowlers, and they bowlers got blown, and they were treated like athletes, rock stars, and you know, obviously, that's not quite. So, do the you same. like the movie Kingpin? I love the movie Kingpin, and you what's know, your dad's my dad's it? take on it is 
yeah, it's a cute movie, but uh-huh. you know, I I did hustle, and that wasn't how it was. And I'm like, yeah, I know the Amish don't bowl either. Like, where, right. where are you going to suspend your disbelief? But there was that sort of hustling element to it. Totally. Like, my dad's got the fucking greatest stories about. Have you had him on your podcast? No, because he lives in Florida, and we're not set up to take calls. But I, but I, but I will, I will get him on one of these days just to sit and chat with him. He's got the greatest, like. Yeah, you know, it's three. He used to have to sneak out of his house to bowl uh, pot games at night. Like in the middle of the night, they'd close the bowling center down and he'd bowl again. He was like, Yeah, one time uh, these carnies were in town. There was a carnival. So they had underground bowling Underground games? bowling games for money, like illegal pot games. And he goes, So these carnies were in town and I used to hustle. So I'd shoot, you know, like I, the guy, these guys came in and I told him I was a 150 average bowler and the guy puts a gun on the table. And my dad goes, What's the gun for? And the guy goes, That's to make sure you're a 150 average bowler. Oh, my God. So naturally, my dad was a 150 average bowler for that game. Oh, God. So, the, oh, so he, they called him, huh? Yeah, they totally called him on it. I've, I've always wanted to do life-threatening bowling. Like who would have thought? Oh my god! Well, anything that anybody can gamble on can become life-threatening. The, yeah, as long as there's money, there's a politic, and there's a gun. Yeah. So your parents would stayed married throughout your? No, my parents split up when I was eleven. Um, oh, so that must have just that sent you back further into yourself. <laughs> yes, I'm sure it did because we moved again. Oh, I went to De- went no. to Denver uh, after that, and then ultimately to to Los Angeles. And you probably oh, did you have those weird trips where you go visit your dad? And then you'd be at a bowling alley, and he'd be like, that's my kid. And you'd sit there around <laughs> talking to some floozy that would <laughs> later blow your dad. Possibly. Possibly. You remember it? Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, I spent most of my time in the bowling center either bowling or in front of a video game. Remember when the video games had cigarette burns on them? Yeah, of course. Yeah, oh, like the, the, yeah. the plastic on the yeah, cabinets. Yeah, it was all yeah. melty. I used to have to try to clean those off, like as the sort of prom, you know, like I oh, was really? a porter. You, you worked at a bowling alley? I worked alley? at my dad's bowling center when I was a kid. You know? So he had a bowling alley. You're yeah. saying bowling center. I picture I'm something sorry, different. I'm it's, sorry. That's just a vernacular. It doesn't mean anything really. It's it, I was always, it was ingrained to me like a bowling alley meant a really divey place and a bowling center was more family oriented. And was it? Yes, it really was. It, it didn't get was. divey over time. Never got divey. It so were you the get, were you like doing all the stuff like you know, give me a size seven shoes, spraying the, the shoes, oh, having to oh. run down the lane and knock the dead wood. Got dead wood on ten. Got to knock the pin off the lane uh-huh. you know, when it falls into the gutter. Uh-huh. Uh, Did you have a restaurant in there? There was a restaurant in there and a, a very prominent bar, French fries. Yeah, uh, Billy Burgers. They would call them. That's your dad's. My name? My dad's name was Billy. Not Billy Burger, Hardwick. Billy Hardwick. And uh, what happened to the bowling center? Still man? there. 30th anniversary. Still Does there. he still own it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's in Florida? It's in Tennessee, Memphis, Tennessee. So he runs it from Florida? Runs it from Florida. Yeah. My stepsisters kind of run it and you know, he's you know, he's still my dad's a control freak too, so he's still on the phone every day. Really? What's yeah. going on? How the fry selling? How the fry? Everything going okay? Yeah. League down. All yeah. right, you know. Billy Burgers up. Billy Burgers up. Billy Burgers up. Well, those early What's di- on a Billy Burger? I don't know. It's just <laughs> Come on. it's just meat and and it's a fucking burger that okay. they, you know, that's nothing just, special. Just branding. Uh-huh. My dad ejaculates on every bun. Oh, after he gets blown by exactly. that bowling So everyone wins. Yeah. Uh, so, all right. So, how many what other video games did you have in the center? Um, I named a bunch of those. Uh, we had Donkey Kong Jr., Donkey Kong Tron, so whole Mario Brothers. Yeah, I I I uh leaned on him to put an arcade in the bowling center. And so there was it was huge. We had a so you you were sort of like cutting edge. You're you're like they, <laughs> I was he, an early adopter. I was did he an early make money gamer. with a, a bunch of kids playing hooky and hanging around all night? I guess so. Yeah. How old are you? You're younger than me. Yeah, I'm 39. For real? Yeah. Seriously, I really am. Come on. What? What? I I know I don't look older than that. All right, 39. I was born so in that, 1971. 
All right, you got it down, you know. So, <laughs> so, all right, so I'm 47. So that means when I was in high school, that's when Space Invaders came out. So I must have been 15 or 14. So you must have been a little fucking kid yeah. when that shit came out. Absolutely. And so were you hustling fucking teenagers? Well, I wouldn't have been allowed to do that. Um, but mm. yeah, I mean, there were, you know, there were certainly like, there were street rat kids who would come out, you know, like right. They How old were you when you could go through a whole fucking rack of Space Invaders? Um, oh, it was pretty. It was it was pretty early on. I mean, it didn't. the The thing about the video game culture was that it didn't. It never. It didn't take long to kind of dominate the game. You know, you'd go in for you'd see a new game and you're like, all right, what's the take on this? You'd watch a couple kids play, and then you would get you know just plunk twenty dollars down, get a roll of quarters, and then just go figure it out figure it out yeah. yeah so i mean you could it like really you could kind of get a game down and figure out i mean back then the programming wasn't that complex you, they all had patterns you could figure out as soon as you saw as soon as it was like it was like looking at those stereogram pictures where you blur your eyes and the image comes out which i can never fucking see yeah but as soon as you could spot the pattern it was done like you right. had, you want you own the game right and that 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 never took super long dragon's lair was a great um laser disc based game yeah i never i never could turn over a game Ever, but I yeah. So I never locked in that kill screen, game. guys. There's gonna be a kill screen. We're gonna see a kill screen over here, you guys. <laughs> what does that mean? It's from uh, King of Kong. Kill, oh, oh. Uh, there, there's a, there's a there's a point in Donkey Kong um, where uh, the game just automatically kills you. Like you've been playing it so long, and your score you, like that you get to a certain level, and then you just die. And you you got there? Yeah, and they're just like you're done. Yeah, yeah. Next. Yeah, you mean like, are you really gonna play? And because how in, can we make money? In these off game of this designers' game? minds, they never imagined initially like someone's gonna play this game for 27 hours straight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we'll just kill it, you know. I remember Defender had some good noises. Defender had good noises. You had hyperspace with Defender. Uh, oh yeah. Whoosh! Phew, but yeah. you might blow up if you hyperspace. So there's a little in. bit of a crapshoot. Yeah, you didn't know. Go, you didn't yeah. fucking know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but all those those the early so epic now, games, right. vector art based games. So now, when when did the competition with your dad uh, end? As far as your bowling career, that never. Well, that's interesting. It never happened. My dad, my dad had a terrible relationship with his father, and so he never, he never felt like he had to put any pressure on me to do anything. He was always like, you need to do whatever you want to do. I left home when I was 17 because my father was an asshole and I didn't get along with him and I'm never going to be that to you. So bowl or don't bowl, just do what makes you happy. Right. And so I bowled up until I was about 13 when my parents split up and we moved away and I did all these like crazy... I was a good bowler. I did all these talk. I did the Mike Douglas show in the set in, in 81. Really? 1980, yeah. Like just bowling against Jimmy Walker and... I, I was really. Did he say dynamite? He said dynamite. Yeah, yeah. he was contractually. <laughs> was he not, not going to say not dynamite? All right. So did did he say this kid is dynamite? It kid figured in there somewhere. So, yeah. I mean, but what do you mean they set up an alley? We went to a bowling alley. Oh. Uh, yeah, we went to a bowling center. With Mike in, Douglas. With Mike Douglas uh, in Hollywood, and uh, because you were some wonder kind, how'd you get the gig? Yeah, because I was a really good bowler. Oh, because I was eight, and I was you know like shooting like 240 you know so you were this freak that would do the talk show circuits i was the tiger woods of bowling but i was a caucasian what other talk shows did you do i did um oh my god i did the richard simmons show it was crazy they exercised on the lanes it was the weirdest thing i've ever done so he shot a shoot he did a shoot at a bowling alley specifically to showcase you well they did a shoot at a bowling alley and then they brought me in as someone who was involved in that world yeah um, the freak, a, the kid. Yeah, I did local news shows. I did Captain Kangaroo. I was on Captain Kangaroo. You were on Captain Kangaroo. Yeah, 
Bowling? They, they did a remote segment where I bowled against. Where I went to Florida and bowled against. Do you have against, footage? I don't know where any of it is. I'm sick about it. It just it didn't survive a move or something happened. Oh, you had it on videotape? I had it all on VHS tape and it's gone. I don't know where any of it is. So did your mother move to California? My mother and my my mother remarried in uh, 85 and we moved to Denver with my stepfather and then in 88 we moved to Los Angeles and so I just How old were you? In 88 I was 16 turning 17. So you're 3 years out of the bowling racket and three. you're in, and you're in LA. I'm in LA, yeah. Hanging out, running around the streets. Where where'd you live in Los Angeles? Pasadena. Oh, right over here. Not that far from here. So you'd go out at night, drive into the strip. <laughs> no, I was never that adventurous. No. For for the insane booze bag I became in my twenties, I was a surprisingly tight assed teenager. But how did you go from like when you started doing like you're on Captain Kangaroo? That was he a nice guy? Did he smell funny? <laughs> I Mr. never met. Green I did not meet Bob Keeshan. It was a remote shoot, so I never met him. And you did the Mike Douglas show. You did local news shows. Yes. What, what other big breaks were there? The bolt when you were the bowling freak. <laughs> the, the, well, when you think it can't get any bigger, uh, it didn't. Uh, that was it. I, qu- I, qu- I quit bowling when I was 13. And but you still got it. It's like muscle memory, huh? Yeah, it's kind of muscle memory. You sort of, oh, yeah, I, this feels familiar. But do you ever just say, like, I want to go bowling? Yeah, I, I just never have time anymore. But yeah, you I, used to bowl recreationally? Yeah, but it bowling's one of those. It was like, it's, like, it's like the same reason why it's hard for me to play chess anymore, because I played competitive chess from, like, most of the time I was in school. And... It's very difficult for me to just do it for fun. Like I, I get that's where I get really competitive. And when I'm playing chess, I'm trying to I'm trying to think eight moves ahead with every piece, and it 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 hurts my brain now. And so I just I can't do it for fun. Like I have to do it the way that I was programmed to do it competitively, very competitively. Yeah, with all things. You know who is a fucking insane chess who? fanatic is Jim Norton, and I never had would have had any idea. But I, when I did the o, Open Anthony oh, yeah. show and Norton was on. I mentioned chess, and he's like, oh, yeah, um, yeah." so I was watching this documentary, and Kasparov, and he starts naming up, and we yeah. start talking about Bobby Fischer, and Karpov, and Kasparov, and all these great chess players, and he's an insane chess fanatic. Well, there's a lo- there was a, a, a bit of time there in New York at the Comedy Cellar. You know, there's that whole chess scene in Washington Square Park. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there were dudes that used to sort of linger around and go do that chess hustle. I, don't, I didn't know him. It was a little before his time, but I didn't know he was a chess player, but I know CK was trying to get good at it. I don't know if he ever did, but are you like when? Can you? Uh, how are your chest chops? I don't know. It's. I mean, I'm sure they would be terrible now. I mean, I. Do you have it on your phone? I do have chess on my phone, and I'll play it every once in a while, and then I just, I just start to feel that I start to feel the pressure of competitive chess. I mean, you know, it's like these are field trips, and you're going like going to the middle of Tennessee to play in these school tournaments and you're you know you're trying to oh just a fucking nerd fest you're trying to psych out other kids and it's worse than being bullied by jocks because they'll just hit you and it heals but yeah with the brain these guys are trying to get under your skin and you sit down and they're like do you feel okay you look a little pale and even Mm. though you know they're trying to psych you out it gets under your skin you're like does he think i'm that fucking stupid that i don't know what he's doing and then your head's out of the game (laughs) so it's just a weird now did your dad as time went on and even though he told you you could uh, do whatever you wanted to do did he feel did you did he feel like you know my son's become this nerd freak <laughs> like what, what did i create what's with the chest and the no i think he just didn't get a lot of what i you know i think he just like all the comedy that i loved and the things that i was into were just different from what my parents were, were was he into. a boozer um yeah my dad my dad's a drinker yeah, yeah. he's still he's still we, we had a hilarious conversation i mean he he drinks a few beers a day now he's yeah. 70 years old in a couple of weeks it's yeah. like why you know it's like fucking not yeah, have no. a few beers yeah, a day now i don't give a shit but he we had a conversation last year i was visiting him and he goes 
yeah, you know, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing like seven or eight beers a day because at a certain point you just got to slow down. I was like, are you what? fucking kidding me? <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean? Like he literally, it's, just, it's like when a dog chews your slipper and you're like, why did you do that? And they're like, no, I just found a chewy thing. It's my nature. Right. He didn't know. Like he just didn't, didn't occur. I literally laughed in his face. Because like, did you have any idea that he was drinking much more than that every day? Oh yeah. I mean. Well, it's just, you know, like it, he never drinks before five, but at 5 p.m., like he cracks Bang. open a Bud Light. Yeah. And he just sips it, you know, and just throughout the night, he just casu- it's very casual. He, uh, he doesn't get drunk anymore. Doesn't freak out. Doesn't, doesn't go out and get nuts. He go just, get his bowling ball. And yeah, go, does. Why? <laughs> Start throwing it. You did out. this to me. And he yeah. throws it through his trophy case. Say <laughs> yeah. the old man can still knock some stuff over. Yeah. But uh, none of that, huh? None of that. None of that. He's, he's just a very casual drinker, but. You know, so how do you get from, you know, being this nerd kid to being this sort of like, you know, suave kind of, you know, MTV personality? What was the trajectory of your TV career? There was no suaveness with (laughs) MTV or ever. The the ridiculous story of it is when I was in college. Where'd you go? I went to UCLA. Um, I I, I entered UCLA as a math major and um, a math major. Yeah. Jesus fucking Christ. And then. I, and then I found the math program. To, How are your math chops? Uh, well, they're not. I mean, I, 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 I was in math probably for about a year ish. What'd you top out at? Calculus. <laughs> what did we top out at? I don't even remember. It you was. Made, did you make it through calculus in high school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I went to I went to like crazy prep school and did all the AP classes and like Latin and like all this crazy. You shitty. speak Latin. Well, you know, Latin's a, not a spoken language. It's, it's it's a written language. No one really speaks it anymore. But uh, it doesn't mean you can't speak. You it. can speak it. Then there's is then there's Nerdist Latin. No, Nerdist is not Latin. There there are uh, <laughs> there are different camps about like the church has its pronunciations mm-hmm. and the Romans like there's Roman pronunciation for Did Latin. Did you get involved in that controversy, Hardwick? I went to all boys Catholic school. Uh huh. So I had I had I had you know like one year I had a secular Latin teacher and then another the next year it was like. Uh, a, a Jesuit Latin teacher and so then they change all the pronunciations and you're like oh long vowel here and then you don't pronounce the V and then here's the W you know so were you brought up with an active uh, engagement in the idea of hell not well not so much but certainly in an idea of my mother's Italian Catholic for real for reals and she still holds on to that yeah 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 I mean she's not you know she's not fire and brimstone but the Jesuits that taught me um they're they're a fairly in terms of interpretation of their religion. They're it's a very liberal sect of the religion. So they teach, like my mother was my mother cried the day I told them my theology teacher was teaching us a, a symbolic interpretation of the Old Testament, uh-huh. where she was like, "No, it literally happened." I'm like, "Well, no, it probably didn't literally happen that way." Yeah, when you, when you told your mother that hell is optional, <laughs> optional, we can it's opt optional. Out of and then these stories, and I'm like, "No, you don't understand." Yeah. At one point, there were all these tribes that had to vie for superiority, yeah. and so they pulled all these different mythologies together to create this one unified. Yeah, yeah. You know, but it was all political. It's at a time when politics and science and 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 religion were the same thing. Right, um, and so in a weird it broke sort of, her heart. It broke her heart a little bit. So in a weird sort of way, yeah. The you know the 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 Jesuits kind of woke me up to like it was the first time I was like oh you know I never really questioned it before but I guess yeah well, of course. Oh, so it was like one of those brain blossoms where you're like oh my god yeah exactly. you all of a sudden got this little portal into what it felt like to have freedom of mind exactly. So it's not like yeah. oh wait because because then you start getting into these weird these weird kind of uh, paradox uh, uh, these moments of paradox where you go 
okay, on the one hand, I know I heard a priest say we have free will, but on the other hand, I heard him say that everything happens for a reason. And those two concepts cannot exist in one spot. You either have free will or things happen for a reason. Well, you, maybe you can have free will, and in retrospect, you say maybe things happen, <laughs> things happen for, for a reason. <laughs> yeah, things. But in fact, there's a, like a second of, uh, of of there's a beat between the two. Wouldn't it be? You have free will, and then a second later, you're like, oh, that. Uh, that, 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 that that's yeah, of course clearly. it had to happen that way. <laughs> but don't. But don't. But do you ever have this moment where yeah. you go, it would be really great if I had religion. It would be really great if I just had a sense that I didn't have to question everything and i just had that sort of like ah, well everything's because this wizard in the sky said this and well, i feel okay like a prefab belief system well i have as i get older you know having not had religion or ever really being brought up with it in any real way i find that i m- the closest i get to it is realizing that almost everything is out of my control mm-hmm. and and there are certain things i'm never going to understand because first of all, I don't have time to research them, and and I I actually have very little control over everything. Right. So I if I can stay in that and not start projecting stuff into some sort of fear, because I think the only thing that you buy with religion is is a manufactured or dogmatic piece of mind. Sure. Uh, so you don't have to ever kind of go into some existential tailspin. Yes, exactly. I, I, that, I, that's why we suffer. <laughs> these are this part of the reasons why we suffer from anxiety and depression and these types right. of things because we. You know, you start trying to grasp things that are, to some extent, ungraspable by your mind. Well, it, it comes down to meeting and what's it all mean, right? You know, what what is the point of it all? And and you it's got to mean something, right? It's got to mean something. Well, it and, does. It means whatever's happening now, or what you know, whatever you've accomplished, or treating other people well. But in the big picture, who the fuck knows? Maybe that's the one glitch that we have is that we're, it doesn't mean much of anything, and we're really not that much different than other animals in that way, and we just can't, uh, you know. Uh, sort of integrate that into the human spectrum of things because we have such a deep understanding of are you worried about dying i i don't think about it but you know lately you know i realize you know like i you know we're everyone's gonna get cancer Mm -hmm. and uh you know something's gonna happen i i don't know if i'm worried about it it seems um i i think it just comes that moment i hope it's relatively painless i don't have to suffer too much and uh i i think that it's just that one moment and i think after that uh you know uh, I'm not going to speculate, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm not going to. I know I'm not going to be worried anymore. I mean, listen, you didn't. You didn't have awareness pre you being here. Yeah, so yeah. I, I don't mind going back to it that. It might just I be a state. It just might be a state of non. I just don't want to be die in a weird way. You know, like standing up, or you know, like or like in in a crowd, right? Or uh, you, you know, or, or something too dramatic. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Maron. Hey guys, oh. great to. Oh, oh, and it's on YouTube. Yeah, I wouldn't mind that actually. <laughs> But that'd probably be the only thing you're remembered for. <laughs> Mark who? That dude who died on YouTube. Oh, fuck, that was awesome. Didn't he have a podcast? Who yeah. fucking gives a shit? He's, he's Check a out the video. No, yeah. he had a show and a career. Nah, nah, I Here's can't a mashup of all his clips from Conan and then <laughs> him dying on stage. Ugh. How do we get here? All right, so you're a math major. I was a math major. Uh, then I went to the... And then, you know, I, I studied some animation for a while, but ended up in the philosophy department. Really? Um, yeah. Jesus Christ, Hardwick. You're a lot uh, broader than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really pigeonholed you into a, a whole fucking horrendous uh, idea. Of I understand. If I had seen me on MTV and I did, I would have done the same thing. Yeah, but I mean, we've been in the same social circles for fifteen years, twenty years now, almost. Yeah. And and I, I I tend to always hold this, these people that I I know barely to these ideas of who I think they are because it's easier to do that because the idea of, and I think it's one of the reasons why like old, like you ever find that like older people just kind of become racist or they become. 
I, I just I think to actually go in and explore someone's story and understand who they are just takes a lot of energy, and there's only so much energy in the day. But also, but also we never talk to each other. That's true. Yeah, we do I, never I, talk I to mean, each other. I mean, it's like I'm completely willing to expand, but most of the people that in, in different points in my life where I where I've, I think that what, what we're talking about um, sort of comes into play where, you know, you're at a point in your life where you're defining yourself, and it's sort of like, I'm me, and this is me, and yeah. oh, that's that guy, and I just talked to him for 10 minutes, so now he's that guy, yeah. and then you move on. You don't want to, you know, no one's going to escape that guy status until you're like, oh shit, you're not, you know, I, I, why didn't I talk to you earlier? But also like back, you know, like backstage at shows or whatever, and you see a bunch of comics and yeah. I, you know, I just wonder, you know, I mean, I'm a lot more comfortable than I, certainly more comfortable than I used to be, but just having these moments of abject insecurity and going, okay, if I'm insecure, are they insecure? Cause they feel, they seem okay to me and I don't have that. Whatever they have, I don't have, and I don't belong here. Like just all of that. I think weird that, in your head. Well, stuff. yeah, but the trick about comics is like most of us are insecure, at least at some point, and yeah. probably more so than others. But you know, if you're the guy that's going to start voicing that, you're you're kind of you, you know you're going against the grain of the community. It's right. like your job is to suck it up and act like you can do this. But I feel like as we all get older, it just doesn't matter. As, you know, it's like it yeah, certainly fucking everyone, doesn't. Everyone's got fucking problems. Great, whatever. You but, know, we're well, all... last night I did a benefit and I was second up, and the will turn was packed, and I had that moment backstage where I'm sitting there with uh, Tom Papa. Or, or a tell or somebody, I'm like, oh, fuck. This is going to fucking, I don't want to, I don't want to tank this. I'm like, why the fuck would I tank, you know, at the stage, the stage of comedy I'm at with a full hot house? Why am I even thinking that? You wouldn't, but it's good that you think that way. It's good because it means that, A, you care about what you're doing, and also it keeps you on your toes. And you won't, you know that if you have that, if you have that, it's, you won't get lazy. I guess, but I mean, I don't need to be that crazy. At some point, I should be like, I'm going to fucking ace this. Why can't I have that once in a while? I don't think I've ever... F I think... Because I think you present yourself from a different part of your brain when you get into, I'm going to ace this mode. And it just, for some reason... It doesn't resonate as you don't, well. You don't get that. You don't ever feel like I'm going to ace this. You must. You have that. You have that competitive nature, and you I have don't a, think you I have don't skills. I don't think about it. My best. My best shows. I just. I. Ha, I don't. No, I, but like you're about to go sing whole lot of love at karaoke night. You're going to ace that. No, I don't know that I'm going to ace that. I could open my mouth and it comes out wrong, or it's in the wrong key, and I can't sing it, or my voice cracks, or you've like done it over and over again. But I still. I still always have that linger. I think that. I think that that fear is a little bit of the fire behind us that drives us a little yeah. bit and makes sure that we stay relevant. Yeah, have you taken any bigger risks with uh, karaoke? No, I haven't been to karaoke. I haven't been to karaoke in years. I, I haven't been in years. But I, I used to love it. And a whole I, lot of love was your song, right? Yeah, and then at a certain point, you're like, "Am I really the guy that just sings the same three songs at every karaoke bar? Yeah. Like, I really have to go around and drop my dick on the table that much for yeah. my ego?" <laughs> I think for me, I was I was karaokeing at a time when I was just quitting drinking i was very insecure about myself yeah and and it helped you i'm not as good as as i did the rock of ages show in la before it went to broadway and i could never have done the show they asked me to do the show on broadway and i never could have done eight or nine shows a week i can sing a couple songs okay yeah but i'm not like i'm not good like a trained singer i'm right. good for a comic right and that's you know and so at a certain point, I kind of realized, like, I'm literally just jerking myself off by going to these rooms and doing the same three songs, and yeah. this is dumb, and yeah. don't I get enough attention on stage as a comic, and I don't need to do Well, this. let's go back to when you weren't a comic, and you were a math major, and somehow you ended up on MTV. Okay, okay. Uh, I was always... Comedy, uh, you know, comedy, computers, and video games were my main obsessions when I was growing up. Yeah. I 
going back to Steve Martin um, in the seventies, my parents were very they fostered that. They bought me the albums. Uh, Albert yeah. Brooks, you know, uh, the, comedy minus one, comedy minus one. Yeah, um, it tells you to turn the record over. Yeah, yeah. The, all, the all of it. Crazy kooky calls. Yeah. Um, Loved, uh, you know, obviously like Carlin and 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 Pryor and yeah. the Sunset Strip, and then, and then like the ninth annual Young Comedy, like all, that comedy boom in the eighties. I videotaped everything and watched everything, and so it was always a driving force in my life that I never related to other kids about was comedy because no one loved it as much as I did. Right. So then, cut to then I'm in college. I'm I'm doing stand up in college with a small group of people like Mike Furman and a couple other people. Where clubs? Yeah, no, no, no. Just a co- just a, like dorm shows. Right. It would have infuri- it would have infuriated you. I and it, it infuriates me in retrospect. I was saying I was a comic, but really I was performing four times a year. Yeah. Uh, but we would meet once a week, help each yeah, other. Yeah, that infuriates right, you know? me. So I was like, yeah, I'm a comic. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, I'm just doing four dorm shows a year. This isn't really. So then uh, I was a contestant on a game show. <laughs> called Studs. <laughs> I was a contestant. I remember that show. A dating kinda. show. Yeah. I was a contestant on a dating show when I was in college. Yeah. Um, I had a car. Some kids were going. They were auditioning for the show. I'm like, I like attention. I'll go. And so I went. Did and you get the date? I went on. Well, you go on. You, three guys go on dates with the same girl, I think is how Did you fuck her? No, no, no. Nothing happened. Um, did, I, did anybody... far too awkward with women to oh. you know I mean my 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 defense mechanism was always to go into comic joke mode yeah and college girls don't respond well to was that was that part of it though that show that was getting laid because I mean oh they're at least making it seem like people got laid oh, okay like they had a guy they had a plaque on the wall of a guy they called the hat trick who was a guy that that was the only guy that ever fucked all three girls Hmm. And he actually he got them all, and they called him the Hat Trick. Mm-hmm. Never would have happened with me. I was very uncomfortable in girls, and always kind of went into Steve Martin. My yeah, default yeah. was wild and crazy guy mode. You actually did the bit, not the bit, but that kind of like hey, hey, what's, 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 hey. Oh, boy. like the thing that he was. You're making me uncomfortable. The thing that he was satirizing <laughs> was the character. Like it was, yeah. it was a, it was a epic pile of fail. Yeah. So, uh, so I go on this show, and the producer of that show a few months later is casting an MTV show called Trashed. I auditioned for that. Okay, so I hosted Trashed and then... Shit, uh, what was that show about? It was... Every few years MTV would try to replicate remote control where they would have a quiz show fucking with for sketch trash. elements. Or was, or was I on it? I don't think you were on it. All right, so what was the show premise? People would bring... Teams of people would bring on personal possessions and then they would get destroyed if they didn't answer enough questions. But, I mean, like, the entire staff were people you know. It was like Posehn, Doug Benson, uh, uh, Dana Gould, uh, uh, no, o- no, Odenkirk Cross, like that group. No, I remember. I remember I was up for probably the hosting job because I, I auditioned for a couple of those. Yeah, and the show failed almost immediately. Yeah. But they kept me around and then they, they placed me and singled out and... Um, and I never felt comfortable in that show because I was constantly surrounded by people that I couldn't relate to or talk to in college, like all these fraternity and sorority types. And I was in a fraternity in, in my freshman year, and, and it, I, I hated it. I was so uncomfortable. I hated being judged. So you're telling me you were uncomfortable and singled out the whole time? The, 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 I, what I realized after the first season was, and if I'm, and I'm, but I, now as somebody wanted to do comedy, you knew you were being. Um, you know, pushed into host mode. Yes, but I didn't have enough experience to understand it yet. Yeah. And so the first season of the show, the set was loud, and so I was shouting into the microphone right. over people. Right. And then after I watched the first season of the show, I realized, oh, no one on the set can hear what I'm saying. These amplification devices 
just are for the home viewer. So I got quiet and I just started like mildly insulting the people that I couldn't stand in college that were coming on the show and making like kind of nerd rage backhanded comments to. And that's sort of what kept me that that was sort of my voice on the show. And that's what kept me sane on the show. And and it didn't listen. I will be the first person to tell you I did not pop from that show. Jenny popped from that show, and Carmen popped from that show, but not the kid with the floppy hair making and then the, video always, game jokes and Three's Company references. And then you, I always got you confused with the other kid. Who was the other guy that wore the hats and stuff? Wasn't there another uh, uh, personality, another young, hosty personality on MTV? Not Dan Cortez. I can't remember. Oh, Cortez. Oh, Cortez. That's what I remember that. He guy. was a PA. Cortez was a PA for Lisa Berger. For something? Lisa Berger, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they threw him, in, who's now the running E. Yeah. And they threw Cortez in front of the camera because it was MTV. He didn't cost any money. He just was spunky, and so that's where MTV Sports came from, or whatever. And John and John Stewart was. was you he, wrote it. You watch it. He was on there too, right? He was on. He he hosted a show called You Wrote It, You Watch It, where people. Would, I remember that people would write it. It was right around the same time as the state people would write in and then they, I think they would make sketches out of the right, letters that people right, would write. And there's right. John Stewart in these fucking ridiculous gas station jackets like with his, and he had his floppy hair curtains like we all did. Yeah. And he and that was all the generation after remote control. Right after remote control. That, that was what broke this whole thing open for yep, comics re- on MTV. Exactly. Yeah, remote control and then it was like half hour comedy hour, kamikaze, like I all did of both the, of those. You did? Yep. How was the? I mean, because you were you were around, like you were doing comedy during the comedy boom, and then into the nineties. And well, I think I got my first TV gigs in eighty nine. Okay, so the first time I was on TV was on Evening at the Improv, nineteen eighty nine, in Caroline's Comedy Hour, and then I did another set of those in ninety one or something. And so I was working then. Like I started working as a comic in '88, mm-hmm. and I started getting the first, you know, those those shows. That, there were the cable shows in '89, '90, '91, and I think that it was around that time. You know, Benson was starting out. Yep. Hussein wasn't really yet, but I mean, Benson was one of my contemporaries, mm-hmm. and then Attell and all those guys. Dana Gould probably. Dana Gould was actually like he started very young, so he was actually well. In, he was already headlining, I think, by the time by '90, yeah, easy. Yeah, it got to have been. I love watching guys like Dana. Or Odenkirk doing all of those uh, those '80s specials, and seeing just seeing the what to, to me as a young comedy watcher was, oh no, what they're doing is different. What they're doing is not the same as everyone else. Like right. that, that that's they're saying something real that I, I under like I don't know. It was so- well, Dana was like certainly like he was sort of a wonder kind you know i mean he i remember he was doing uh stand-up in boston probably in his teens before i knew him and he'd gone to san francisco probably by the time he was like 20 or 21 and already like had an hour i mean he was uh, way ahead of the curve on that and always very inspired but like i remember benson and those guys and i remember us all hanging around and cross but there was a crew certainly but comic i remember the mtv Half hours, they were shot in New York. It was sweaty. It was summer, and, and Lisa Berger was around. I remember that. It must have been shit ninety, maybe ninety one. So that's sort of right when the the boom of comedy is starting to over f- f- fizzle. The first one was done. I mean, by the time I really started working, you were already going to clubs, and they were saying like, "Yeah, it's fucking over." And uh, that's when I started in the in the ashes of that first comedy boom. And somehow I've managed to survive into this second one, which I, is happening now. I think it's a good. I think it's kind of good to start then, because if you can survive it, then. But Kamikaze was weird because that was I remember that shoot because I had a horribly discomforting set, <coughs> and 
the idea was it was being hosted by John Bowman's floating head. Yeah. There was like no host. Yeah. Was, there was something weird about it. Was the that weird? It was that weird vibe that MTV tried to be like, oh, we're we got to do it weird. Yeah, it's yeah. got to be weird. Got to do these weird. Ca- Let's strap a camera to this dog's head and just let him sniff crotches. We'll get the shots. I just remember I was so fucking nervous about everything, everything. Like I remember backstage. I remember at at Kamikaze they wanted to shoot these interstitials or these things, these little pickups here and there with comics. Like they and I remember she said, "Act like you just got shot." You know, and I watched Dave do his cross, yeah. and he did the whole like, uh, like he played it up, and I was just so nervous I couldn't do it as good as him that <laughs> they they ended up. She said, "All right, bang," and I just fell down. Oh, and there was funny. No, no, it wasn't funny. She looked at me weird, and I remember it. I remember it to this day. I used to watch you all the time on Short Attention Span Theater. Oh yeah, well you know that had an impact. I was angry and weird. I was much in the same position you were. I was given this show. <clears throat> I thought I was a rebel and an angry comic, and I had a you know I had a trajectory that I was on, and I I was doing the real deal, and I was broke, and I got this offer to host a clip show, and I'm like fuck, I, I, the the amount of shit I put my producers through on that show to get writers <laughs> to not make me look like you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not just going to be a host. I need to be a comic. Uh, yeah. Yep. But you did your own thing. I mean, but people liked you on that show, dude. So I guess, but it wasn't really. I mean, it wasn't like. I mean, that show didn't. I mean, people seem to remember that when they talk to me about that show, they seem to remember it a lot better than I remember it going. I I seem to remember people. I mean, they aired it a lot, and I, there was a certain demographic that watched it. But I seem to remember people saying, "This fucking ridiculous show is the death of MTV. This is the worst." Like Courtney Love accepted a humanitarian award that MTV presented her, and she was like, "MTV's great, except for that shitty show singled out." I'm like, "Really? Courtney Love just took a dump on us?" Like, yeah, you know. And so, are you still friends with Jenny? Uh, you know, I have maybe once a year we'll shoot each other emails and go, "How's it yeah, going? Great. Yeah, okay, it's nice to meet you." Did you ever make out with her? I never made out with her. Mm. I never made out with her. I, you know, I've I've always been sort of a, a serial monogamist, and so mm-hmm. I had a girlfriend the entire run. Oh, of you that mean show. you could have made out with her? Maybe. No, I don't feel like that was ever on the table. Um, but uh, but 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 truth be told, and people don't believe me when I say this, but that that kind of Playboy Bunny style, like big boobs, like fr- yeah. like, like platinum blonde hair, but yeah. was never except for Julie McCullough. Julie McCullough was like the first Playboy that I saved and pleasured myself to on a regular basis. Julie McCullough's Girl Next Door shoot from like eighty five or six or whatever it was. But outside of Julie McCullough. <laughs> I think still is at the still is at the Playboy Mansion, uh, and and very sweet. Um, I just that wasn't my type of girl, like big boot. Big, no, big me boobs. neither. I can't. No, I, it's like uh, it never. It always seemed a so, little. But people are like, hey, because I get it all the time. Fake it's, boobs, blonde hair. I don't. I hey don't, man, you must have been all up in that. I'm like, no. And they're like, are you gay? And I'm like, because yeah. I didn't fuck the right girl. Or, I would have been all over that. I'm like, I bet you wouldn't have. But yeah, but also it's like she's. I worked with her. She was my co-host. Yeah, we, people just assume that if you work with people, you're gonna put, you're gonna throw your cock in them. And it's well, like, yeah, oh, well, really? that's, that's why I'm grateful. I hey, never did you fuck had, that Asner? Yeah, did you fuck that Asner? I did. You guys worked together. You must have fucked that Asner. Yeah, it was weird. But I, I figured out of respect for him, if this is what he needed to do, he's an Ooh, old man. Grant! Yeah. But uh, all right, so then okay, so you do that, and then when you on a boat too? Was there a boat? Boat show? date, yeah, boat date. Shipmates was mm. uh, that was really the that was really the the beginning of the 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 hard downward spiral was uh, uh, the beginning of the bottom. The beginning of the bottom, yeah. So you know, MTV finished in like ninety eight maybe, and I, I worked in radio for a while and did a bunch of failed pilots that are just you're almost on ryan seacrest trajectory i yes yes i, I but, mean i sometimes i say that 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 chris hardwick's the nerd ryan seacrest <laughs> i i've <laughs> sort of 
I sort of feel like that sometimes <laughs> just because <laughs> I uh, I tweeted that once. You I did? Tweeted, I said, I said, Seacrest and I have very similar careers, except he has more money and less nerds. Uh-huh. Uh, so I was going to start calling myself C++ Crest, mm-hmm. which is a programming language. And, and he and he tweeted back to me like, I'll parse code any day with you, bro. And I'm like, oh, really? Oh, yeah. So um, it was very sweet. Did it, you hang out? Did not hang out. Uh, but uh, but he, but I just just in terms of, I mean, I think he's done an amazing thing. He's a fucking industry, that guy. It's insane. And you have no idea who he is. <laughs> that's the I don't know who he really is. Yeah, that's one of those classic sort of... But hick- I think you see the, a lot of it. The Hicksian pull back the face. No, but you totally... You see it in the fact that you can't get... You can't make $100 million a year and not be an obsessive fiend. Yep. You just can't. Yeah. You have to have a certain gene. I think you... I think the... I think the roadmap is in all of the production deals and the nine shows and the doing the radio and not stopping for a minute. I mean, I am that way. And I'm sure that it's because like I said to you, when I got here, you said, how you doing? I go, I'm really busy, but I love it that way. Cause I hate being alone with my thoughts. I mean, clearly I'm a workaholic because I'm probably running from something and you know, before it was booze and now it's, I can control my career and I'm going to fucking, I'm going to at least feel like I'm steering something. Well, okay. So like if you're running from something in those moments where I see it sometimes when I talk to you that, you know, your eyes just sort of go distant and, uh, and then I'm like, what's going on now? I'm rebooting. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Control alt delete. But is it like when, when you, when you have those moments, I mean, what do you feel? Sadness or anger or fucking lost? Um, no, it's, it's just, uh, four other things that I need to remember to do that I know I'm going to forget because I didn't write them down. But beyond that, um, but I mean, like, if you feel like you're running from something, what is it? I don't know. I mean, part of it is, you know, as you, and maybe you felt this too, as you start to kind of get into your late thirties, you start to, you start to really like it. It's sort of what you said earlier. I'm not afraid of death. What I'm afraid of is dread. It's a, it's a dreaded moment of death or it's a, you know, like more people are afraid of dying in an airplane crash, but more people will die from heart disease. Like it doesn't stop people from shoving cheeseburgers in their mouth because if you die of a heart attack, you just fucking drop dead. Yeah, no, but I have dread. I mean, dread is a, is crippling. And, I'm afraid, I, like dread is the major component of anxiety. You become afraid right. of being afraid. Right. And so, you know, there's, there's a component of that. There's a component of being afraid of my own fear. Do you panic when you're left with too much time? Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it's funny. Um, I, I teeter on hypochondria a little bit and it, and you know, what was, what what was pointed out to me by my, by my girlfriend, Janet is she said, it only happens when you're home for a few days and you don't have anything to do, which is rare. Uh, but it also happens because you 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 don't feel okay. You don't that, feel that okay, you, and and you want somebody to make it better. I mean, I have found that those when you're panicking or anxious or having hypochond- uh, hypochondria, you know, basically you just want someone to say it's okay. Yes, you're going to be okay, and then you go fuck you. You don't know it's just cancer, but you know that's a whole other thing. That's called a marriage. And it, so I, <laughs> well done. And but part of the part of the obsessive mind, I think, is when you know if you're a workaholic or or an alcoholic or whatever your holicism is. Mm-hmm. You're spending so much time in the external world, and then for, when you take a break from that, your brain is still 
on auto drive. And so it literally just turns on itself and begins to cannibalize itself. Right. And I think that's a lot of that mechanism, and too. That, and then you get the, you're going to I got to fix something. Out. I got to right. fix something. Oh, I got to fix me. Right. Oh, I'm broken. Oh, my. That doesn't feel right. Yeah. That's probably a, you're not that's good probably a thing. What yeah. is that? MS? You yeah. know, like, it's just a fucking. Yeah. I got something in my Achilles tendon right yeah, now. I exactly. don't know what it is. That's not. That's, Have that's you ever hurt your Achilles tendon? Um, no, but I've, I've had, a um, just, I've had back issues and so that'll compress, uh, that'll compress an artery and then so your leg feels a little numb and you're like, well, that's clearly, that's either Parkinson's or MS or some, some so neurological that, problem. Right. But so you get that thing where you're like, I'm, I'm fucking not, I'm not cutting it. I'm not cutting it. I'm not okay. Something's wrong. Ugh. And it had to be pointed out to me. That is your anxiety manifesting itself because you're not you you can't be alone for a couple of days without like I gotta be in work mode, but I do genuinely love I do genuinely love to work this everything everything that we that you know that that we do is just like the it's just like the chess game like I I just no I do too but then but don't you ever get that thing where it's sort of like when's the other shoe gonna drop uh, sometimes but I'm a lot better with that I'm a lot better with that now who's your therapist. <laughs> <laughs> she's good she must be she's good a lot of it is a lot of it is um is emotional compartmentalizing thing emotionally compartmentalizing you, did, have you been able to trace that back to being an only child or your parents divorced or anything like that maybe i mean just a sort of weird abandonment or the weird kind of like i mean i'm sure i'm sure there's a million things you know and like my you know like for a period of time i didn't talk to my dad and you know like my my dad had you know like he's, are you able to let somebody make you feel better yes absolutely Absolutely. Because, you know, a lot of it was, you know, my mom was very overprotective. And so I'm sure there's, you know, like if someone just says, like, like you said, like someone yeah. just goes, everything's okay. And you're like, all right, that's all I needed. <laughs> Thank you. I'm I going back down to the playground. Literally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> literally. It's just like when, it, when a kid falls down, if you laugh at them, he's like, oh, everything's okay. I'll go back and play. Let's talk about this bottom that happened on a ship. Okay, great, great, great. Um, shipmates. Uh, so I didn't work for a few years. Uh, but were you, ch- were you? Oh, so were you freaking out about work, or were you like, did you have that moment where you're like, I'm not doing what I want to do? I was drinking so fucking much, I wasn't even thinking about it. Uh. And then, um, and then the then so shipmates comes along. Everyone's trying to remake Blind Date because Blind Date was doing very well. Yeah. And so this was Blind Date on a sh- cruise ship. Yeah. And I. I turned it down six times because I said the same thing you said about short attention theater. Like I'm not going to be a fucking dating show host again. Yeah. I fucking I will look. Re- Were you doing stand up yet? Yes, I yes I started doing stand up full time in '98. Um, so I was doing stand up. Uh, I remember when he started. Yeah, that yeah, was like '92. Well, that was the first. I think that was in college when I was toying around with it. Then I didn't really do it again until no, like ninety. Oh, really? Yeah. So you, what about ninety five? When when did you start coming around Luna? You already done singled out. Oh, Luna, Luna was t- two thousand one. It was. Yeah. Oh shit. Luna was two thousand one because that was around the time I was going out to do two thousand two thousand one. That was around the That's time like I right when I was shipmates. leaving. Yeah. Yeah, right about that time, and um, and then so I'm there. I go to do. Sh- I finally accept the offer because it was so much money. I just couldn't turn it down anymore, and I had no money, so I took it. And I said, I'll do it, but you have to let me make the the nerdiest jokes i can make and they go we won't we, you can say whatever you want so you know i'm making fucking harry potter jokes on a dating show in 2001 and no one said anything and so it became fun then was the show popular um in some markets and in another you know with syndicated television if it gets a good time slot on a channel people have heard of they'll watch it yeah and if not they won't right um but overall it was popular ish not super popular mm. uh and then 9-11 happened, and I was in New York for that, and then it just this, this crazy spiral, and then it was 
you know, just two straight years of the drinking got really bad because I was so fucking scared and just so afraid of for my life and my career and all this craziness. So, so you made nine eleven about you? Uh, well, of course, we all, you know, a lot of us did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, this is probably because I. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and also, this means that I'm not going to be able to. Yeah, it's like your dad, your dad's joke about yeah, it's my my step my stepmom have cancer. I have the worst luck. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I wish it was a joke. It's we, only a joke the way I say it. We make we make we make it we make it about ourselves. Yeah. and so. Um, I I never really thought about my career long term. It was I was very much like job to job. Yeah, and then I quit drinking and realized, oh, I might have some control over this. You have and free will. I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> actually go out of my way to create the career that I want, rather than waiting for something to come along. And, and that's so that's you, when everything changed. So you had the chops. You had some comedy chops. You had bit. hosting chops. And you said, I'm gonna be true to myself and just build my own thing. But not like not like you guys. Like I I, I still. You know, for me, the first five years of comedy was basically doing comedy mostly in L.A. and New York, which, you know, if you're doing comedy mostly in L.A., not to insult L.A., but it, you're not really, really doing comedy right. to, to, like, not real stand-up. Right. You're performing for other performers. Yeah, It's yeah. people who, it's a little more inside. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until I started going on the road that I realized, like, oh, well, none of these jokes work. <laughs> Most people don't give a fuck about how auditions work. But you're work. pretty persistent up there. I mean, like, you know. The, the... <laughs> I think that's a compliment. <laughs> No, no, it, it is. I mean, you do, you step into long stuff. You've got a certain pace. You don't you don't really buckle. You keep plowing along. You're not, you know. Thank th- thank you, quote unquote. No, uh, no, no. I, I no, no. I, I, I hear what you're I, saying. I, I, know what you're I saying. have walked away from watching you work, saying that's a good bit. I I <laughs> that I, I, that might be as close to a compliment as I. Can. I, I will I will accept your complisalt. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> is that the first time you said that? No, no, no. I, I, it's a word I started thinking of when people, when I would start going on the road and, and there people didn't know who I was and there were maybe four nerds in the audience and someone would come up after a show and go, listen, I don't know what, what everyone else was thinking about, but I thought you were great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's a compliment. Hey, you're really likable. Yeah. You're a good guy. You're so brave to get up there the Dude, way you do. Dude, you're good. You're good. You're getting laughs. You have way you're more courage it. than I do. Oh, come on. But, uh. But you know, but watching, but watching guys like you and guys like Louis uh, talk about talk about real things and actually talk about yourselves. That's very. It that was very hard to do because I'm actually kind of a private person, and so it was very. It's and also it doesn't. Did you see the um, the being funny the the thing with Ricky Gervais and no. Louis and and Seinfeld and okay, so it was fascinating because Ricky Gervais. Who is you know he's a a, a comedic actor who's now been doing stand up for the last few years, still has because he's a young comic, still has a lot of these weird emotional trappings that you have when you first start doing stand up. Like I can't do the same jokes more than once. I can't. I have to. You know, comedy is doing a thing. It's not just getting up talking. That's too easy. Why would I just get up and talk? It has to be a bit. It has to be a thing. Yeah. And so I. I it took me years to start to even just now settling into, oh, no, you can just talk about yourself and you can derive comedy from that. It doesn't have to be, and then I need a tag, and then yeah. that's got to have an old twisty part. Yeah, no, it doesn't have to do uh, be that, but sometimes you realize you're doing that anyways. Yeah. That, like, that's innately, like, after you do comedy a while, you realize, like, well, that's sort of a unique joke for me because it is a twist. And and then, you know, you I think you probably think in tags more than you think. Maybe, but I, but I always, you know, I, lo- I looked... I look at guys like you know you or Lewis Black or or Patton or Paul F. Tompkins and 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 I just think, you know, you guys have have it down to the point where you can. And I don't mean to take any of the sexy art out of it, but you're you're sort of it's become a it's become a streamlined machine. And I can throw, 
you know, I could throw any topic at you and it's going to come out as you in a relatively well-formed comedy thought because that because your machine is greased and you, yeah, you know so. you know who you are yeah I, okay I, okay yeah but we're forced to don't you feel like more than any profession you're sort of forced to deal with who you are because you do comedy well i think that like for for me i'm not i i'm in this other i'm in a zone where i've never been before i'm, I'm very much comfortable in my skin you know on stage and, and even a little more off and that's never happened before so i'm actually i've found a little leeway to have a better time than I used to. You do appreciate it. Yeah, I, I never used to because I was so full of panic and dread and anger that, like, I, I just was like, I'm gonna fucking, I just got to get to this and get to that and get. In. And but now, like, I actually like the audience more, even if they're shitty. Mm-hmm. And you know, I can, you know, like, uh, I was in Canada and I had a couple, uh, the late shows were unmanageable uh, almost. And but it was like, I know how to do this. <laughs> you know, like it's fine. I can deal with that guy. I can deal with this. I, and and all, all of a sudden it's like I earned the uh, the the right to have a good time, even yeah. if I'm not doing so it's different. What is uh, what's your take on Canada for, for, for comedy? I think they're very polite audiences and sometimes, you know, they're 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 great audiences. And and I found that even when they got drunk and a little out of control, it seemed cultural and not aggravated. You, you know yeah. what I mean? Like they they definitely did not police the room as well as they should. And and but there's an <laughs> there's a there's a feeling up there. It's like yeah, this is how it is. You know, so, you know, second show Friday, man. I'm like, yeah, but I mean, that guy, you know, he he showed his ass. He should have been taken out of the room. Which is kind of funny because. It- you know where you're at, where people are going out of their way to see you. A few. It's still not. A, it's not. It's still not a whole club's worth. So, no, I mean, really. Come on, seriously. No. Not. I mean, not in Canada. I mean, I'm, oh, okay, I. Okay. Feel, okay. I, I, you know, there are certain cities, but I mean, I feel enough support now to where I mean, I like. I still do comedy clubs, so I. I don't. You know, I'm not doing rock clubs where it's only going to be my people. Mm-hmm. So I like the challenge of performing for people that don't know me at all, which of there are plenty. Yeah. So now I, I, I literally, as part of my act, say like, look, I got a lot of people here who know who I am very well, and then I got you people that have never fucking seen me before in my life. So we're going to try to bridge this gap. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of exciting, I think, for both parties to to have that experience. So what is it you look for when you are mm-hmm. when you're watching a comic and and you go that guy? I just want to see his vulnerability. Interesting. <laughs> You know, if I can't, you know, if I can't feel his personness, like even if they're they're avoiding it, there's a vulnerability up there that that I can I sense immediately. And you think that, that does that make it more real for you, or just you just connect with? What it just better? means it's they're taking a risk, other than wondering whether or not they're going to get a laugh. I never thought of it that way. God damn it, that's <laughs> such a great way to think about it. Because uh, yeah, because you know, so so much of the the way that I used to write and still write to some extent is is just about. Comedy based, yeah. and, and not like no. I want to, I want to tell you who I am, and here's here's a thing that I feel, and like I, I I've just never, I was never. But even like there, but but even if they're if it's not that, you can sense that like you know this guy's you know he can't be doing anything else. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? There, there's nothing else this guy can be doing. I I mean there you know this is it's all in for this guy. Uh, you see it less now. You know, because there's a lot of people, you know, anyone can write a joke. And really, sadly, a lot of people can tell them fairly well on stage mm-hmm. the jokes they wrote. Yeah. But until they start, you know, till that isn't just protecting against engaging, uh, it's just it could be anybody. That's 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 really fascinating. I make and I totally get, especially now, why you would see my stuff and then go, OK, I sort of, you know, like because I don't I'm not. 
I was never vulnerable on stage because I hated being vulnerable. Uh, uh, you know, well, you uh, might. Are stage. you ever vulnerable off stage? When somebody's not attacking you, sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, the the the, the, the comment threads, <laughs> right? No, um, I, I think that's. But I think that that speaks to something. I mean, like you said, you're a private person, sure. And and even the experiences that one chooses to share up there. I mean, you're only going to do as much as you can handle. Yeah. It it takes. You, there, sometimes I share things. It's pretty insane that I'm sharing them, and, and they're not even funny. And people are like, I don't know why he's telling us this. Yeah. And in, and in my mind, it's like, well, it's. it's got to be funny because you're shocked or you're you you know you're having an experience right what are you going to do with my feelings you know and i don't i don't know that that's always the, uh, the I, best form of entertainment I, I told you i i saw you at the laugh factory once and it was fucking <laughs> awesome because I, it's rare that i go there i, I know well it and but but to see you know the type of comic that tends to flourish there is more of a Bruh. hey everybody Hey, remember what it was like to have a sandwich when you were a kid? Yeah, and they, yeah. just, they just remind people that things existed, sure. and people equate that with like, sure. oh, safety! I recognize yeah, the thing. Yeah, that's yeah, 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 that's yeah. funny. Identification. Like, no, yeah. you just feel safe. Yeah. Uh, but and then to watch you just get up and sit on a stool and start talking about uh, the you know the bipolar coaster yeah, and then yeah. your dad and yeah. all these real emotional things yeah. and and uh, and it went over well and I was yeah. like holy shit like that was a. Um, well, th- and the next comic after you again was just like bah! taking shits, people. Well, I did, but see, I knew that too, and I knew like you know, I I sacrificed this compulsion to kill with this compulsion to to reveal myself. You know, so like learning how to exist in that territory on stage that that took a long time. Yeah, but you know, you're doing good. Everything's everything's great. I'm very happy with the way everything's going. Well, so let's you know, you know briefly and and as a way to uh, to 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 bring it around. I mean. So you majored in philosophy? Yes, I majored in philosophy. So what did you take away from that experience? Um, I took away from in the experience... In a nutshell. In a nutshell, that philosophy, I feel like innately can't really be a major in college because so much of it is, so much of it is subjective, I think. So much, so much of the idea of philosophy and, and, you know, like meta ideas, so much of it is subjective. You know, I write a paper about, you know, why what I thought, you know, could be the idea of, you know, existence blinking, like when you blink your eyes, everything around you goes away, you know, like this sort of solipsistic idea that everything is an extension of your own experiences or whatever. And so I would write a paper and they would grade it and I'd go, well, this is my opinion. How can you grade my opinion? I'm not, I'm not spitting facts back at you. And so I feel like philosophy like turned on itself in a weird sort of way. I was like, well, if nothing really has any innate value, why am I in school? And why am I t- re- re- taking classes? And why, why can't I just go read books somewhere else? And so, um, you know, I, that was kind of the experience I took away from it. But also you didn't want to get involved. I mean, because philosophy as an academic pursuit remains an academic pursuit. Exactly. Just, what do you do with it? And you're just adding to, you're, you're completing, it's an ongoing equation based on the equations of other philosophers that came before you. The thing that drove me to it was Steve Martin. Was like, oh, see, Martin was a philosophy major. And I always remember he said, it screws up your thinking just enough for comedy. And, and I was like, yes, okay, that's what I want. That's what I want. I I became a philosophy major because of Steve Martin and comedy. Did it did it get you that? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know because that would because you know the philosophy groupies were another group that I just I didn't relate to either. Just these these like fat sweaty dudes in trench coats in in the summer smoking cigarettes outside, being like, "How do I know a table is the same table that you see?" And I'm like, "Because mm. at, at a certain point, you just have to agree on something." <laughs> You just can't fucking. We can't stand here and debate this, that we see the same orange yeah. forever. Yeah. 
So, so that's funny. So See, I, I found it to be kind to... of a, a an exercise in futility. At a certain point, you just kind of have to go. It, this is what it is, right? And this is what I'm experiencing now. So uh, the end. Well, that sounds like it did help your comedy. I guess. Thanks. Good talking to you, Chris. Thanks, Mark Marin. All right, that's it. That was me and Chris. I think it went well. Remember, if you want to watch uh, Chris's uh, Nerdist TV special, it's on BBC America this Saturday, September 24th at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Listen to WTF on Monday for that insane lineup. Ira Glass, Morgan Spurlock, Elna Baker, Joe Mandy, Wayne Kostenbaum, Nick DiPaolo, Artie Lang, Nick Griffin. Oh, my God. Go to the website, WTFPod.com. Get all your WTF pod needs met. Got a lot of great merch, a lot of new shirts, new posters. Going to have some buttons up there soon. Get on that mailing list. You can also buy my CD. That would be nice. It's still out there. People are enjoying it. Get that at iTunes. Or if you go get it at the uh, merch section on WTFPod.com, I'll sign it for you. And, of course, the app. Get the app. Get the app. I'll be in Louisville, Kentucky, at the Improv. Tonight through Sunday. I just want to get that out of the way. Bit of a plug fest today. 